0: If you're if you're turning the Bible, uh, Second Samuel chapter nine. If you want a good app to download, it's uh, Blue Letter Bible, BLB. If you'd like to use your phone or your iPad, BLB, Blue Letter Bible, great uh, translation. Some people's asked me what is the translation that I am speaking from. I study from several translations, really. Um, but the NASB, the New American Standard is my, I believe is the closest word for word translation that we have, uh, that I, that I like to use. The King James is a great, uh, word for word translation. There are just some words that I think are a little bit closer in the NASB, whatever you like to use, uh, word for word. But, um, in Second Samuel chapter nine. So in the paper that you have, uh, that I handed out, uh, I have the, the lineage of Saul, and that's going to make more sense, something you can look through. Um, this, that kind of covers where we've been with the house of Saul. And so now you, you see kind of where uh, Saul's family's at all the way down to Jonathan's son's. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about Jonathan's son tonight, uh, Mephibosheth. And so that, that is nothing I'm going to really discuss tonight. That's something you can look and see and kind of see Saul's wives and, and, and all those who had passed away and how just the, the, uh, Jonathan's sons and, and where they're at. I didn't go no further than, than just a couple of those after Mephibosheth. So I want to tell you this. Since college, this has been my favorite Old Testament passage uh in all the in all the old testament this 13 verses is my absolute favorite um if and i and i said this today i said if you cannot get ex- if a preacher cannot preach this passage something is wrong with him and if a believer cannot get excited about this passage something is wrong with them and so this passage is absolutely outstanding in how it points us uh to Jesus Christ now, I do have to just remind you, if you got a chance to watch Sunday morning, I covered 2 Samuel, the second part, chapter 7. We skipped over chapter 8, and it's because I told you chapter 8 really should come before chapter 7 because it's talking about the wars. But if you listen to Sunday morning, if you remember what I said, and um, it was talking about the prayer of David. If you remember that, the last part, I think it's 18 through 29, it's the prayer of David. If you remember what he said, cause God had told him, I'm going to continue your lineage on. I'm going to continue it on through who? Jesus Christ, right? He said, he said, your son is going to build the temple. And David kind of was like, wow, I can't believe this. Wow. He's out. I mean, he's the praise and the honor that he's given to God. Now this is very important. When we go to chapter nine, that prayer and praise is being carried over now to David's life. All right. This is very important for you to understand the context because because of what God had given to him. Now, David is going to live this out through somebody else. All right. So that's where we left off. Let's get into verse one here. It's 10 after. All right. Y'all did really good to get me in here. All right. Then David said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul that I could show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? All right. So he said, now David is sitting on his throne. He's just come out of this prayer time with the Lord. He's overwhelmed with the blessings of God, the mercy of God, the, 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 uh, for, uh forgiveness of God. He's overwhelmed with God's glory and he's sitting here going, Hey, will everybody stop? He said, is there anyone left that I can show the kindness of God to? You see, David's like, because of what God had done for me, I'm going to transfer this to somebody else's life. You know, what's sad, though, as I, as I see the first part, he said, is there anyone still left? You know, this is a sad reminder. If we've learned anything so far through the life of David, the Old Testament is violent. And we haven't even scratched the surface of the violence that's in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is very violent. And it's the hatred. It's the sin. It's what war has done. And he said, hey, is there any distant relative? Because Saul's family is wiped out. Can you imagine? I mean, this almost like the Hatfield and McCoy. How far do we have to go back till we get to somebody still living? I mean, what a sad legacy, right? That the house of Saul has. And so he said, but I want to show the kindness of God. It means the word kindness in the, in the Hebrew says favor or mercy. All right. And he said, for whose sake? For Jonathan's sake. Now he says going to say two different things and I'm going to share later on how this, this passage has changed my life and my prayer every day. Now, if you remember, the 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 how big this is because kings that would step into this position would not be out to show the the, the past kings and their family mercy or favor. What would they be trying to do? Kill them. Because what would they be afraid of? Their relatives would come up and rise up against that king and that throne and they would kill them. We see this through history that so many people killed off their, their relatives and their, and their next of kin. But even to keep them, even their own grandkids. You remember the queen I talked about that killed all of her grandkids and left one of them off because she forgot them? I mean, can, ladies, can you imagine killing your grandkids so they wouldn't take over your throne? I mean, how wicked is this? So in, in, he says, for Jonathan's sake, who, who can I show the kindness of God to? Now. I'm not going to make you turn there, but in 1 Samuel chapter 20, listen to this. He says, if I'm still alive, will you not show me the faithfulness of the Lord so that I do not die? You shall never cut off your loyalty to my house, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David and face the earth. You know who said that? Jonathan. He says, will you continue to be loyal and show favor and show mercy to my descendants? And David said, I absolutely will, Jonathan. You know what David's doing? doing. He's remembering the promises. You know, a lot of people, once they got what they want from you, they kind of forget what they promised you, don't they? They kind of forget what, what, what they, what they, oh yeah, I forgot, I forgot I told you I'd do that. You know, so David didn't forget verse, uh, and so how does this compare to Christ? All right. And I tried to leave as many verses as I could in here so you'd have some references. And so I thought about this the same way because I began to look up the Hebrew word favor and mercy in the Greek word. But the same way that David showed mercy to, to uh, Jonathan for Jonathan's sake. Jonathan's not alive is the same way that we see Christ shows us mercy and shows us favor. I wrote down first Peter and he himself brought our sin in his body upon the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by his what wounds we are healed just like David said your dad's not here but I want to show favor and I want to show mercy now David is going to be a picture of Christ Jonathan's son is a picture of all unbelievers I want you to go ahead and wrap your hands around this right now David is a picture of God and we Mephibosheth is going to be a picture of us Ephesians says, God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, he he uh, uh, he loved us even when we were dead in our wrongdoings. You're going to see Mephibosheth is dead in his wrongdoing, so to speak, and made us alive together by Christ. This is exciting because we're going to see what David is going to do to this cripple man. And we're going to see what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, verse two. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they summoned him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Okay, so they bring in this man. David already asked this general question. Hey, I want everybody's attention. Everybody listen up. Does anybody know if anybody is left in the house of Saul? And everybody's like, Uh, you you know anybody? You know anybody? I don't know anybody. Hey! I think there's this guy and his name is Ziba and he was, a, he was a servant for Saul. I bet you he knows. And David said, well, go get him. And so now he comes in and, and here's the reason for this man. Number one, he served the house of Saul. So he has the connection. He grew up serving Saul and he served the kids. He saw everything that came in and out. Lord, can you imagine what this man saw? And so he had connections to the family, but not only this, he had such close connections to the family. He knew that if there were any descendants hiding, then he would know that where they were located. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I was the son of the king or the grandson of the king and a new king comes in, you could bet your bottom dollar I would be out of there. And I would be living in the lowest hole, in the lowest cave, and I would be my name. I wouldn't speak my name. I would not even sow association with the house of Saul. I didn't want anybody to know where I was at. And so this is what's going on. So here comes this servant from the house of Saul. Now, every time you get called before the king, you have to wonder what's well, getting ready to happen. And so here comes Ziba and he says... Uh, uh, I, I'm your servant. Now, whose servant was he before from the house of Saul? So all of a sudden, Ziba's thinking, OK, is this the part where I get killed? Because David, you know, Saul went to kill David and he's going to think, you know, he's thinking all these things. And he said, Uh I, I, I'm here. I'm your servant. Verse three. Let's see what David says. Then the king said, is there no one remaining of the house of Saul? You know, Ziba had to go, whew, OK, this is not about me. Is there anyone remaining of the house of Saul to whom I could show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan who is disabled in both feet. Now, you understand in verse 1, who did David say that he wanted to show the kindness of God for whose sake in verse 1? Jonathan. Now in verse 3, he changes his language to who? God. He says, is there anyone who? In the house of Saul that I could show the kindness of God to. I was doing my devotion several years ago and verse three just just hit me. And I said, this is how I want to live my life. So every morning, this is my prayer. God put somebody in my path that I can show the kindness of God to. And when this happens and it happens all the time. I look at them and they'll say, thank you so much. And I said, I prayed for you this morning. You don't even know me. Yeah, but God does. You see, David didn't know who this was. He had no idea. He knew Jonathan. He loved Jonathan. But here, all of a sudden, the theme of this chapter is this. Who can I show the kindness of God? Now, if you don't understand the context of the passage, this really doesn't mean not much to you because if you go back to chapter seven, why in the world is David showing the kindness of God? Because the kindness of God was shown to David. You see, when, when David, when God said, Hey, I'm going to bring Jesus Christ is going to be in your lineage and that throne will last forever. The kingdom will last forever. David is overwhelmed and all of a sudden he says, okay, God, since you are so kind to me, who can I show kindness to? Who can I show your kindness and how can I pass this on? You know what I've known to be true? When I get a glimpse of God's favor, when God's mercy, I have no other choice than to produce it in my life to somebody else. What does first John say? The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. If I claim to have God as my Lord, as I claim to have Jesus Christ as my Savior and I don't love. Guess what? It's nothing but Words. If I know Jesus Christ is my savior and he loves me and I've, I've received the love of God. I am going to transfer that love to other people. It's naturally going to happen. It has to happen in our life. And so if you've received the mercy of God, if you've received this, guess what? You're going to extend to other people. Mercy. If you have received the, received the forgiveness of God, what are you going to, what are you going to give to other people? Forgiveness, people that say, I just can't forgive. You just don't know what they did to me. I'm going to say this, then have you really received the forgiveness of God? Because if you understand the forgiveness of God and for who we are, then you're going to give the forgiveness. That's the way it works. And David's sitting here transferring this to this. And so, by the way, do you remember what happened to the man who owed the king a lot of money in the New Testament? And the king said, pay me back. And he says, king, I don't have it. And he said, guess what? He said, well, I'm going to forgive you. What happened? He went out and the man who owed him very little, he put him in jail. You see, we're not going to show that kind of evil if we have the love of God in inside of us. And so David is simply saying, he's saying, guess what? He said, I want to transfer the love of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God to somebody else in my life. Please, people, let's wake up and let's pray this every morning. Really? And you're going to be amazed at the God is going to put people in your path. And you simply say, I prayed for you this morning. Let me tell you who God is. Let me show you his kindness because he's been kind to me. And then he said, Ziba said. To the king, there is still a son named Jonathan who is disabled in both feet. Now, if you remember this story, this kid was about five years old. If you remember, Jonathan and Saul both died on the battlefield at the same time. The nurse caught wind of it. Now, let's just say you were responsible for the grandson of the king. All right. You were the you were the babysitter. And all of a sudden you found out that dad died. The king's dead. The the grandfather's dead. And you know that there's going to be a new person taking the throne. And you're the one that's responsible for this child's life. What would you do? you grab that child up and you'd take off running, wouldn't you? You would do whatever it took to protect Saul's house. Jonathan's son. By the way, this, this, I mean, obviously she loved this kid. It wasn't like, how can I protect my life? She grabs this five-year-old up and in the haste of running out, I'm sure, you know, you've, Pick up a five-year-old. They can get heavy, right? The boy slides out of her hand and lands on the feet and cripples, disables both of his feet. I can, Can't you hear him screaming? This child, I, I think about this when I read this verse. And now she's really panicking. Now he's screaming and she's probably saying, be quiet, be quiet. And it, she's running away. We see this in Second Samuel 4, by the way, it tells us about this. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 4, 4, it says that he no longer could walk again. He was a cripple. Good for nothing. All right. Now we get to verse 4. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he's in the house of Makur and son of Amalel and Labir. Okay, so let's look at this. I want you to think about this. He said, Where is he? Now, Ziba's in a tough spot. Naturally, kings would do what? Kill the next generation. So Ziba's sitting there scratching his head, he's going, Oh Lord, I'm scared. I'm scared to answer the question. Because I have a fear of David. If I don't answer the question, I'm fearful that David's going to kill me. And I'm scared to answer the question. Because if I do answer the question, what if David kills this boy, this young man? So Ziba's sitting here and he's going, uh, David, I'm scared of you. But I'm scared of what you're going to do. He's in between. And then he said, okay, Behold. This is an emphatic word. Every time you see this word, it's a statement like, okay, I'm going to tell you. Here it is. I'm just going to lay it out there. You know, there it could have been that pause, that silence of David going, well, where's he at? Okay, okay, okay. This is where he's at. He's in this house. And you know what? I love this, this verse, because this man, Macur, this is what we know about him. He's only seen twice in all of scripture. He's only seen twice. We see him showing mercy for Mephibosheth. He took a crippled boy in. He kept him on the down low. You know what the next time we see this man? We see him later on in 2 Samuel chapter 17 where Absalom rebelled against David and was trying to kill his own father. And you know who fed David and his men, this same man. This man is a man of mercy, of grace, of favor. I, I'd love to do just a message on this one man right here. He took in a cripple. You know what I think about how many times people take in orphans and foster children and raise them. And so he's in this house. And he says, I know where he's at. Not many people do, but I've been in contact with him. And is going... Please don't kill him. Please don't kill him. Please don't kill him. He's a cripple, David. You know, in his mind. Verse 5. The king David sent messengers who brought him from the house of Makur. And and, and he, he the king sent messengers. So here we go. I want to think about this. As, this. as these messengers, ever how many it was, they're going to get a cripple boy. Jonathan's son. This boy had already suffered his entire life since the age he was five. He's grown up without a father. He's grown up without a grandfather. He doesn't have any property by himself. He's living in another man's house. He's having to be taken care of his whole life. And now here comes some messengers from the king. Obviously, he's going to get ready to be killed. You know what I think? I thought about this, the threat of worry. I think we worry about things that don't happen, don't, don't we? We worry about things that haven't even taken place yet. And so this is a great scenario of what's taking place here. Ziba can sit here worry about what is going to take place and what's David going to do. And so here the King David goes out there and he's sending his messengers. Can you imagine this cripple boy? Can you imagine this cripple boy looking? Out that window and seeing the messengers of David. Oh, no, this is what I knew would happen one day. I knew this would take place. Verse six, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David. Now they had to put him in some type of cart, put him on a donkey. He was carried in some way, form or fashion. And he's going to the king's house. He's going to this big palace that was made of cedar and stone that the king of Tyre had made for him. Can you imagine the journey? Can you imagine what this boy was experiencing? Can you imagine what he was feeling? Would you be scared? By the way, how many of you over to Intercom has heard? Psh. Chris Davis, please come to the office, see the principal. I don't know about you, but fear struck my heart every time. And you're, and all you're going is, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Well, it couldn't be that. That's too long. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Right? Anybody else feel that way? Yeah. Can you imagine this journey? By the way, this was not a close journey. Can you see him going, um, Hey guys, can you tell me what, what's going on? And the messenger said, we don't know what's going on. No, just give me a little hint. How many times have you ever had anybody tell you, hey, I, I got to talk to you. I, I, I'll talk to you later. You know what I do? I go, no, 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 no. Tell me now. Is it bad news? Just tell me now. I want to know. And they're like, we don't know. But Mephibosheth, no, just go ahead and just, just give me a hint. Am I dead? I mean, I wasn't bothering nobody. I didn't try to claim any land. What's going on? We don't know, Mephibosheth. You just just tell me. And so he comes before David. And here's how we know what he was experiencing. What was the very first thing he did when he got before David? Fell on his what? Face. His actions indicate his humility, his fear before David. And I love what David did. Now, you got to understand every word is important. And he came to David. He fell on his face. Prostrate before the ground. He's laying flat on this floor. Face on the floor. And David said. Mephibosheth. Hey son. Sit up. Sit up. Can you imagine what Mephibosheth. He didn't want to, you know. He didn't want to sit up. He didn't want to look at David. He's scared to death. And you know what he says as he's coming up? I am your servant, <laughs> I, David. I don't want no trouble. I I know I know who my father is. I know who my grandfather is. I don't want my grandfather try to do to you. I understand all of this. I, I'm your servant. Ziba responded the same way. Did he not? I'm your servant. David, I, I'm telling you, I don't, I don't want nothing of yours. I'm your servant. I just want to be left alone, David. And by the way, think about this. Mephibosheth could have come angry, could he not? He could have blamed David. David, because of you, my father's dead. Because of you, my dad's dead. I mean, my grandfather's dead. Because of you, I'm in this. I mean, he could have just been angry. He could have been angry at God. He could have said, what, David? David. You finally going to kill me now? I mean, he could have came in any of these attitudes. I mean, Mephibosheth had been dealt a pretty tough hand. But I want to tell you, God is in Mephibosheth's physical disability because it's a picture of you and me. Verse 7. David said, do not. Be afraid. Can you see this young man? He is shaken. And David had to say, look, son, it's it's okay." He said, I will assuredly show you the kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. You see, David had been granted great power to show this, to show kindness. One of my favorite verses in the Bible in Proverbs is Proverbs 327. Listen, as I read, do not withhold good from those. To whom it is due when it's within your power to do it. I've used that verse a hundred times here, have I not? We have handed out awards here, we have granted uh uh gift cards or whatever. And I love Proverbs 3, and I say this: when it's within your power to do good, then do it. And David. Said, it's within my power, Mephibosheth, to do good. And here's where I'm going to go. And I am going to show you kindness. I'm going to show you kindness. Can't you hear, Mephibosheth? They didn't add this in the Hebrew, but huh? Say what? Could you say that again? Wouldn't that be you? I was. I always wanted to jump out of an airplane, skydiving, you know, when you're young and dumb and think that you're invincible. But something else I wanted to do was jump from a um, bungee jump. So I was a teenager and there were several of us at Myrtle Beach and I was standing at the base of a bungee jumping um, canapult or whatever they call it. And it's got the big, big inflatable underneath it. And it wasn't that high. But I learned right before getting on it that somebody had died on it a year before. And I thought, this is perfect. That means it's really been inspected now. And I really didn't have any fear about that because I really thought, well, I know that they're really, I mean, they're probably really checking this thing and all that. And so, of course, you got your buddies. Hey, hey, do it. You want to do, do it? Do it. I know I am just hold on. You know, it's not that high. So I paid my $30, you know, and I started climbing and I thought, this is, this is high. And I get to the top of this thing. This thing was so huge that it looked small. I mean, you know, it didn't look that big. It didn't look that tall because it was so big. I get to the top. And I could see five of my friends down there, acquaintances, because they made me go up there and do it. (laughs) See five of them down there. You know, I was so far away that I couldn't see their face. I could just see little white dots in their clothes. And I, I started shaking. And here's this guy, and he was really happy to be doing his job. Hey, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to, I'm going to count to three and you're going to jump. And by the way, they hooked me to my feet. So you're, you're head first, you know, this was not a good idea. You couldn't come back down. I mean, they wouldn't let all that nonsense, you know. And so he's sitting there explaining how he's going to count to three. And then, you know, you got to jump and you have to do this and you have to jump out and He said all of that. I'm going to be honest with you. That's what he was supposed to say. I have no idea what he said. My, my toes were hanging over the edge of this thing. And all I heard was in three. And I said, hold on. What'd you say? He had been saying all this stuff and I didn't hear what he said. I was so scared. I couldn't hear what he was saying. And he said, you're stolen. And turn around, and I'm going to count to three, and I felt one, and he was mad, and that two, I felt his hand go on my back. And I knew, I said, well, it's do or die. But to this day, I have no idea what exactly he said. To this day, I've never been that afraid where I couldn't comprehend what was going on around me. I thought about Mephibosheth as he's getting ready to possibly lose his life. And David's saying all these things and he goes, huh? What? What?" And he's stunned. He's frozen. You know, as I thought about this, you remember when Jesus was on the boat in the storm, Jesus was sleeping. Remember that word cathudo. Remember that cathudo. It means the deepest sleep possible. Jesus on the boat and the, and all the disciples are scared. And what does he say? Why are you afraid? You remember when Jesus was walking on the water and all the disciples were shaken and he said, don't be afraid. Over and over, I can just reference, reference, reference. Jesus said, stop being afraid. And I thought about David. He said, don't be afraid. It's within my power. To show you mercy. To show you kindness. To show you favor. Verse, the second part of seven He says, and I'm going to restore to you all your land of your grandfather Saul and yourself shall eat at my table regularly. He said, I will. And David's going to do two things. He said, number one, I'm going to restore to you all the land that was your father Saul. Now, how big of a deal is this? Because all the new kings would want is how can we gather so much land? And because land equals what? Power. Land equals authority. Land equals dominance. And he says, I'm getting ready to give you all of your grandfather's land back and it's yours. And then he says, not only that, you're going to start eating with me. Here's a man who was crippled. He didn't even have his own house. Somebody had to take care of him. He couldn't prepare his meals. And now he's being invited by the king. And he said that the eating at the table, by the way, is this is a relationship. He said, I want you to come and have a relationship with me. That's what it says. That's what eating at the table is. I want you to have your land, but I want you to have a relationship with me. Verse. Uh, and, and by the way, I, and I, I talked about this. Well, how does this compare? For us to Christ. You remember in John 14 when it says this, in my father's house are many uh, rooms. If, if that were not so, I would have told you because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming again. I'm going to take you to myself that where I am, you where there'll be also, you know what? Jesus has promised us a promise, a home in a celestial city. He says, I'm coming to give you land, right? That's what I'm coming to give you. I'm coming to give you your own room and it's going to be on Main Street and it's going to be attached to the father's house. And then it gets better. Luke 2230 says that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on my thrones and judge the 12 tribes. He said, not only that, he said, you're going to sit down at my table. He said, because I want a relationship with you. You see how David and Mephibosheth and Jesus Christ and us, how they go hand in hand. Now, verse eight, again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should be concerned about a dead dog? He falls back on the floor and he throws himself. His face hits the floor again in humility. He can't believe it. By the way, this is beautiful. What is your servant? If ever you have thought, I deserve God, I deserve Jesus Christ, because I am, you have missed it. We should come to the place in our life going, I don't deserve it. I am so undeserving because you know what? I know who I am. And he said, what is your servant? And then he uses the word term dog, dead dog like me. It was the most degrading term you could be called to a Jewish person. Do you remember? Now, this is important. Do you remember we talked about the prayer of David? After God gives him the news about how he's going to continue the lineage through his kingdom and through his throne, rather. Second Samuel chapter seven, verse 18. Listen to what David says. Then David, the king, came and sat before the Lord. And what did he say? Who am I? And who are the members of my household? David, God gave all this glorious news to through the, through the prophet Nathan. And he says, wait a minute, God. He sat down and he said, who am I? Who am I? Casting crowns. Who am I? Who am I? Now, David. Has the one with the authority. And and you know what uh, Mephibosheth is saying? Who am I? I have nothing but a dead dog. David said, I know I was just there, by the way. I, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're experiencing. Verse 9. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, everything that belonged to Saul and all of his house, I have given to your master's grandson. He said, Ziba, come here. I want to tell you something. Ziba walks back in. Now he didn't know if David had killed Mephibosheth or not. He walks back in. He goes, Oh, thank the Lord. You're still alive. Ziba, I was, I mean, Mephibosheth, I was the one that told David where you were at. I, is everything okay? And David said, Listen up, Ziba. Everything that belonged to God, uh, to Saul now, it's his. If it goes, huh? It's almost like, okay, he's been born again. He's been adopted. I'm going to prove that in just a little bit. Verse 10, the first part of verse 10, and you and your sons, the servant shall cultivate the land for him and you shall bring him the produce. So your master's grandson will have food to eat. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall eat at my table regularly. He says, not only this, he said, what you're going to do, he said, you're going to till this land that I've given him the all these acres. And remember, Mephibosheth is not accustomed to being a master. So David's going, look, I'm going to tell you how this is going to go. Ziba, you're going to now work for this man. He's starting to get the ball rolling. He says, because if you don't till the land for him, he said, he's not going to have anything to eat because he can't walk. He's a cripple. Nevertheless, he's going to have his own food. But let me tell you, he's still going to eat at my table. I'm going to invite him in regularly to fellowship with me. Verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, in accordance to everything, my lord, the king commands his servant. So your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's what? Sons. He said, your servant will do this. He went from a lowly, crippled man that had no house, had no land, had nothing. Now he has servants. And now he is sitting at the king's table. But not only this, he is now one of the king's sons adopted by David. All the privileges. And I want to tell you this, believer, that we have this same relationship with God. Listen to 2 Corinthians, he says, and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Romans 8, Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we, believers, are children of God. Galatians 4, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his His son into the hearts crying, Abba, Father, because I am a son of God the Father. He says you get to say, Daddy. That's what that verse is saying. Romans 8, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We are sons of the King. The creator of the universe. If you, believer, cannot get excited about that, and I can't get excited about that, there is something wrong. Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth was old enough to have his own son. And what he's doing is this. Now, this little passage in here, we know very little about Mephibosheth's son. But this is what I do know. That the reason this is in here is to say, by the way, Mephibosheth, I'm going to show kindness to you for Jonathan's sake. But I'm also going to show it to your sons and sons and sons. This is from generation to generation as long as I am king. And all who lived in Ziba. Now, house of Ziba. Now, I didn't read the rest of verse 10 because I left it out at the very end. Because what the end of 910 says, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. This man had his own, his own servants. He says, everybody in your house is now going to be servants of Mephibosheth. But ultimately, you have your own servant, Ziba. Ultimately, they're Mephibosheth's servants. Verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he ate at the king's table regularly and he dis, and he was disabled in his two feet. You know why it says he lived in Jerusalem? Because, because he ain't got to live in fear no more. And this is why God said he didn't give us the spirit of fear, but of sound mind and of courage and of strength. Because of who our father is. What broke the chain of fear from Mephibosheth? And I think First John tells us this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears not is in perfect love. Do you know why I don't have to live in fear day to day? Do you know why we can do a funeral like Debbie? That Debbie, Debbie Garner can say, I'm so ready to go. Why? Because she has experienced perfect love. Do you know why you and I are ready to meet our Savior? Because he loved us and gave himself for us. And perfect love casteth out all fear. Now here's the question. Did David and Jonathan love each other? First Samuel 18 says, Jonathan loved David as himself. Second Samuel, uh, one says, and the love, your love for me is like love of a woman. He wasn't, it wasn't a homosexual comment. It was this. He said, I love you so much, Jonathan. Jonathan, I love you. You are my brother. And because David loved him so much, he says, I am going to transfer this love to you, Mephibosheth. And this is why Mephibosheth is not afraid anymore, because perfect love casts out all fear. Did David love God? Psalms 27 said he did. He says, one thing of the Lord I have spoken that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. David, and this is important, David loved God. God loved David. And because David had received the love of God, David could love Jonathan and David could love Mephibosheth and David could love other people because David had the love of God. And if you don't have the love of God, you'll never love like God. I want to tell you, if you ever think of yourself being worthy, I want you to think about a crippled boy that can't walk. And I want you to think about the verse. It says our best is his filthy rags. And I want to tell you this young man had nothing. And now he is now a son of the king. If you can't get that and you can't grasp that concept as, as us as believers. Wow. And if you do, This passage should excite you. Now you understand why this is my favorite Old Testament passage. Father, we love you today. We thank you. For loving us. And God, I am not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to meet you. Because of the love. God, I thank you that I am nothing but a was crippled. And you invited me to eat at your table. And you invited me to have a mansion. You invited me to spend my life with you. You invited me to a celestial city. You invited me to spend eternity with you. And Lord, I'm so undeserving. But because of your righteousness, your son's righteousness, that's why I'm an heir. God, thank you for this beautiful picture. And I thank you for crippling Mephibosheth to point us to who we are to and who David was in Jesus name amen god bless you and good night